you will to Philippians chapter 3 as we um, get into God's word. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 will be our text for today. Three weeks ago, we were in Philippians chapter 2 as we talked about working out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. And we'll just uh, be touching today on Philippians chapter 3, focusing on verses 12 to verse 16. I'm going to read the text and then we will get into God's word. This is the word of God. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if In anything, you have a different attitude. God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this time we have, not just to be encouraged, but to encourage one another with the work that you are doing around the world. Thank you for the work that you're doing here at Church of the Canyons, both the work that we see and we do not see. Thank you for the work that you're doing in Zimbabwe, for the work that you're doing in Brazil, the work that you're doing all around the world. We're so, so thankful for allowing us to just be a small part of something bigger and greater that you're doing. Father, may we just be captivated in our hearts and in our minds and, 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 and in our lives with the sole focus of having Christ be seen as worthy, worthy in how we live our lives and worthy in how people see the gospel. And so, Lord, I pray that even this morning as we come before your word, you may open our hearts that we may, we may treasure anew Christ and the gospel. Forgive us, Lord, for the many sins. Forgive me for the many sins that I have before you. And I do pray, Lord, that you may help us, Father, that even as we go through this text, you may rebuke us where we are unruly, you may encourage us where we are faint-hearted, and that you may help us where we are weak. I ask and pray this through your son's name. Amen. Well, Philippians chapter 3 in our text today, in the context, if you recall, about three weeks ago, Paul is writing when he is under house arrest, and he is writing while he is in Rome to this church that is in Philippi that he was so involved in planting it. This would have been about 10 years ago that Paul would have done this, and the church has grown to such an extent that it even has overseers and deacons 
in it as you read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. And as Paul has been talking about the progress of the gospel in his life and how the gospel should progress in the church's life, Paul then warns the church to always keep the gospel pure. He writes to the church warning them of those who will seek to pollute the gospel by trying to add things to it. He calls them in Philippians chapter 3, he calls those people dogs and evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh in Philippians chapter 3 verse 2, when he says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. He goes on to explain how he counted all those things that he used to hold dear, all those things that these people still hold dear as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. His tribe didn't matter before him anymore. When it comes to the cross, his works didn't matter. Your works do not matter when it comes to the cross. His nationality didn't matter, and even the knowledge of the law that he could easily have prided himself in did not matter before the cross. In chapter 3, verse 9, he says to the church, what mattered to him was to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of his own, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. This is how salvation came to Paul, how salvation came, comes to us from God. God has to give us the righteousness of his son by grace, when he opens our hearts to believe in the good news that Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead, you bring nothing. We bring nothing to the table in salvation. Because for you to have been made right with God, you needed to die a perfect death, which you cannot do. <laughs> but God has done this for us by sending his son to die in our stead. Christ, who is God, and perfect, died that death for you. So as one hears this, and as Paul is writing to believers, as one hears this, and this salvation that they would have if you call yourself Christian, they will be tempted to look at Paul and say to Paul, well, Paul, that means that you're now perfect. You have arrived, Paul. And Paul might also be tempted to say, I have arrived in having this perfect relationship with God himself. I am now mature. Many of us this morning may be in that same boat. We may not say it in those words, but oftentimes our actions seem to reflect that. If you're a believer, when you came to faith, perhaps you remember those first days those first weeks, those first months or years that you were so, so sensitive to your sin, so broken. You knew that while you were perfect positionally in Christ, you still had sin present in your body. And you await a new body that will be given to you one day that will be without sin. You knew that practically you still sin before God and God is at work in you, making you more like Christ. That work of God, of being made more like Christ, only begins when you're saved or when you're justified. 
But oftentimes, as the days go by in the life of a Christian, as the weeks go by, the years go by, we forget these truths. And it's easy to just drift slowly away and start deceiving ourselves that we have arrived. We are perfect. You stop striving to grow. You stop putting effort. If you ask yourself, how serious am I even in asking forgiveness from my father about my sin every day? Every day. That sometimes can give you a perception of what you think of yourself. How serious am I in even striving to grow and being in his word, in prayer, in communing with my father, the basic things of being a Christian? How serious am I? Oftentimes, that speaks volumes as to whether you think you have arrived or not. How quick am I to ask for forgiveness to see a fault? (laughs) That gives you an idea. You end up drifting. You just live day by day, sometimes with no intention, no intentional thought of Christ, no intentional thought of the gospel. Now, Paul writes this text about 30 years after his conversion. 30 years. That's a long time. His main point really will be found in chapter 3, verse 14, in that we ought to press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's going to be the main point. The phrase, I press on, speaks of this continuous effort to pursue something. In this case, he's pursuing a prize, which is to be like Christ. That's the prize. In the earlier context, Paul would have said in chapter 3, and if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to look at them as we, as we speak. In the earlier context, Paul would have said in chapter 3 that he had counted all things as lost to be found as having a righteousness of Christ, not of his own. He would have highlighted this goal in chapter 3, verse 10, by saying, not that, I'm, that this is the goal that I have, that I may know him, I may know Christ, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. See, the reason why you have been saved, you may ask yourself, why, why have I been saved? Why have you been saved? The reason why you have been saved, and we need to remind ourselves of this, is that you may know Christ and that you may continue to grow in knowing him. You are not just saved for the sake of being saved. There is a point and a goal to your salvation, and that is to know Christ. That's what gives God glory. This is also what you do in eternity. This is what eternal life is, knowing Christ. Jesus defines what eternal life is for us in John chapter 17, verse 3. And he defines it for us not so much in terms of length of time. Oftentimes, you know, if I ask people, are you, who, who is looking forward to eternal life? People will raise their hands as if it's just defined by length of time. But eternal life goes beyond that. Eternal life is not just time, but it is also relationship that transcends time. You find this in John chapter 17, verse 3, 
when Jesus answers the question and he says in John 17 verse 3, this is eternal life. You want to know what eternal life is? This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. If you're a Christian today, you've already started eternal life. You know him and you will continue to grow in knowing him. And when you die, you go to heaven. That's all you'll be doing, continuing to know him, but it'll be forever. So, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, Paul speaks of this. In that we press on. We put continuous effort in this, in knowing Christ. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as we talked about three weeks ago. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling, being enabled by divine grace, as he would have earlier said in Philippians 2 verse 12. This is the goal. This is the goal that we press on. A goal that God says will not be achieved on this side of heaven, but a goal that God has built in every believer through him giving us his spirit and giving us a desire to strive for holiness. And in that, there is inheritance reserved for us in heaven. This is why when we get back to the beginning of our text, Paul starts by saying in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. He had not achieved this goal, is what he's saying. I have not achieved this goal while I'm here in this sinful flesh. Paul knew for him to grow and keep pressing on towards this prize, he had to be constantly aware that he had not arrived. He hadn't already obtained it. He hadn't obtained the prize of being like Christ perfectly. He wasn't perfect. No matter how much God blessed him, with all that he knew, all the letters that he wrote that we now read in the Bible, how many churches he planted, how many people he had led to Christ or discipled, how many sermons he had preached, how many people he had helped. In fact, he will repeat this in the first part of verse 13 when he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. Paul knew he hadn't arrived. This is so important for us to grasp and to believe. You cannot grow if you think you have arrived. It's like having a child, and I I think about this, one of my daughters, I won't mention which one, she has this tendency of, you try to tell her, she's, she's much better at this now, by the way, But it got to a point where you try to tell us something and and show us something, and it's always, I know, Dad, I know, Dad. Before you even finish the sentence, let me tell you, I know, I know, I know. You won't grow, and you won't learn. You cannot grow in being more like Christ if you think you know it all. If you think you're perfect, if you think everyone else around you is the one who has the problem, right? If they could only see things the way that you see them, the world would be a better place. If you're not open to correction from the people of God that he has placed around you. If you're not open to correction to your spouse, even to your children or from your children, those around you. There needs to be this healthy awareness that we see here from Paul's attitude of your true condition before God. 
And, and sad to say, the longer we are Christians, sometimes we lose that healthy attitude. It's this true condition that says, while God has saved me and made me perfect in Christ positionally, practically, I still am not perfect. And the more you do that, the more you see your sin, the more you see this aspect that you're not perfect. So, I am not perfect, Paul says. I have not arrived. But this is what I do. Look at the second part of verse 12, Philippians 3. This is what I do. But, I know this, but in contrast, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. That seems quite wordy. But the word press on there in the Greek, dioko, has this idea of pursuing or even this idea of persecuting. This is interesting because Paul would have earlier used the same verb in chapter 3 verse 6 when he talked about his former manner of life. We know about Paul's former manner of life before he was a Christian of how he used to persecute the church. We know how much zeal he had in troubling the church going to the extent of approving Stephen's death in Acts chapter 8. He goes to Damascus to persecute Christians. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 13, you read Ananias when he is called upon by the Lord to go and help Paul or Saul at that time. Ananias answers and says in Acts chapter 9, verse 13, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon his name. People understood the zeal Paul had to persecute. But, but Paul here, when he says, I press on, and uses the same word, he uses the same word to talk about the same zeal and effort he used to persecute is the same zeal and effort he now uses to pursue Christ. That's the idea there. I press on with a zeal just like to persecute that you knew of me. Paul did anything he could to persecute the church, and now he did anything he could to pursue Christ-likeness. But why would he do that? Paul, why would you do that? Why would you have such a single focus? Look at the last part of verse 12. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and reaching forward to what lies ahead, so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ. When you see those words, so that, that's a purpose statement of giving you the reason and the purpose. What is he saying? I do this wanting to lay hold of what I was laid hold of by Jesus. In other words, I want to pursue the reason why Jesus saved me. The reason why Jesus laid hold of me. Why he saved me. Well, why did Jesus save me? Philippians 3 verse 10, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. Becoming like him in his death. Sometimes we stop pressing on because we forget the reason why we were saved in the first place. The reason isn't you or your comfort, your glory. 
your satisfaction, your happiness. The reason is Christ, that Christ may be known and seen worthy and glorified in your life every day. You have been saved. Light bulb moment for some of you. You have been saved to live for Christ. Why else would you have such a focus? We've looked at verse 14, but remember he says this in verse 14. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So it's not just that I, I press on so that I may know Christ, but then he says in verse 14, for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The language here has overtones of being in a race, that he's in a race. But the finishing line and the prize is not here on earth, but the prize is the upward call, is upward rather, in heaven. This is why, even as Paul writes this letter, chained day and night to a Roman soldier under house arrest, he writes in this letter and he, he rejoices. And sometimes you're like, you read this letter and if no one had told you that he's in chains or if he hadn't told you, you'd be like, Paul is in a hotel or something. But what keeps him going is this understanding that the goal is there in heaven. The reward is there in heaven. He keeps pursuing the prize under hard circumstances. He knew Jesus' words in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 to 12 are true in that when things are hard and you're persecuted for the sake of the gospel, you are blessed. In Matthew 5, verse 12, he says, Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, they also persecute you. See, we lose such a focus of growing and knowing Christ more often because of this. The threat of what we see losing here on earth becomes greater in our minds than the greatness of heaven. Losing friends, family, opportunity in life, relationship with neighbors, financial security for the sake of the gospel, the threat of losing those things become greater in our minds than the greatness of the prize that is there at the finishing line. And when that happens, we stop striving. I spend more time pleasing my friends. I spend more time wanting to fit in. I spend more time working so that I can keep on making more money, so that I may not lose this, I may not lose that, I may not lose this. And what's here on earth becomes so great in our minds than this reward that is there in heaven. And then we stop pressing on. We stop striving. We start to compromise. And all we start to think about is how should we please everyone? How should we not offend with the gospel? How should we store up our treasures here on earth? where moth and rust destroy and thieves come and break in and steal. Church becomes an option. Our homes become ours. Hospitality gets thrown out of the window. The time becomes ours. What I watch, I don't think about because it's all about what I can gain here on earth. earth. And heaven gets more and more diminished in my mind.
when that happens, when the world becomes greater in our minds than heaven, we stop pressing on. We stop pressing on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul gives us these two reasons. This is why I press on. So I understand the reason why I was called is to know Jesus. And I understand that this upward call in heaven is far greater than anything I can experience here on earth. If we go back to verse 13, Paul gives another insight in verse 13 of how we can effectively press on towards that goal of the prize. And in this insight, he shows us how, we, how, how he has this singular focus in life. Look at verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. He says, the one thing I do, <laughs> right? And this speaks of, of something very important. The one thing I do. Early on in chapter 1, verse 27, he would have used similar language when he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. This is a sing- of singular importance. I do this one thing, Paul says. What, what is that one thing you do? That I forget what lies behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. The strong implication here is that you cannot press on and move forward in knowing Christ if you keep looking back. Again, this is sports language for Paul. As if you're, you're in a race. Imagine you're in a race. You're running a track race. And you know the goal is there, but you keep looking back as you're running. What ends up happening? You slow down. Sometimes you trip. Sometimes you stumble because you keep what? Getting distracted and looking back. If you're running in a race and you keep looking back, that will either slow you down or distract you from what's ahead. Sometimes you can even trip or fall or be overtaken by the opponent. So what does that practically look like? Well, two things. This may be the Christian who keeps looking back at the weight of their sin whether it was sin for them that was there when they were an unbeliever, or maybe they are now a Christian and they committed that sin. And the guilt and the weight of that sin keeps weighing them down so much. They stop looking at Christ and keep looking back at the weight of that sin. You keep looking at it. You keep thinking about it. You start having it define many things in your life. Listen, this is a mind that is not laying hold of the truths of God's word, especially in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that says there is now condom- no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do we believe that? Jesus died for your sins. Past present, and future, completely more than enough for you to be forgiven from them. 
If you have dealt rightly with them, if you have confessed them to the Lord, if you have asked for forgiveness to those who have sinned against you or you have sinned against them, if you have repented, don't keep looking back in this race. You cannot keep looking back. If you do, that's like saying, Jesus, your death was not sufficient. It wasn't enough. And I need to add more to your death for for it to be sufficient. And what I need to add is this more guilt and this more feeling sorry for myself and feeling bad so that the sacrifice on the cross would be enough. And so I will keep looking back. But that's not the gospel. That is not the gospel. And you will not be able to move forward until you grab a hold again of the gospel. Looking behind may also be that Christian, practically, who keeps thinking about their achievements. You know, the high points, right? The achievements that God has done through them in the past, and they keep dwelling on them. That's all they think about. That's all they talk about. I'm sure you've met some of those people. When you beat them, all they talk about is all the good things that they have done or God has allowed them to do. But that's not to say it's bad that God has done these things in the past, in and through you. But you can get so stuck in that past that you're not moving forward and you don't even realize it. That becomes such a distraction that you don't press ahead. I've been so patient with them. I have loved my family. They're all grown up, finished school. I used to serve in the church in this way. I was kind in this way. But nothing is happening in terms of you moving forward today. What God is interested in today is, how have you known my son better today? Today. And not being stuck on how did I know him yesterday. And if we can ask that question every day to ourselves, we press on. Every day, no matter the circumstances, we ought to reach forward to what lies ahead. And the phrase reach forward that Paul uses here is again an athletic term, which is the idea in the Greek of of stretching a muscle to its limit. It gives the picture of a runner getting to the finishing line and stretching to cross the finishing line. I reach forward to what lies ahead. I stretch my muscle to the extreme limits to what what lies ahead. That should give us this eternal and, 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 and finite perspective at the same time. The finishing line, obviously, is, is heaven, the upward call that Paul has talked about, where we get to by either Jesus coming back or us dying. It's this idea and mentality that says every day could be my last day. Every day could be my last day. And I ought to live for God's glory every day as if it were my last day. Do you live for God's glory stretching your spiritual muscle every day as if you were just about to get to the finishing line? And I look at myself, I I look at this passage and it's convicting to me. 
I'm in the same boat because I have to work through the same things. I have to ask myself, do, do I live for God's glory, stretching my spiritual muscle every day as if today were the finishing line? Do I, do I love my wife? Do you love your wife as Christ loved the church as if you're at the finishing line? Do I love my husband and my children, submit to them as unto the Lord as if I'm now at the finishing line? Do I love my children? Do I obey my parents? Do I work as unto the Lord every day at my job as if I'm stretching the muscle as if I'm at the finishing line? Do I share the gospel as if I'm at the finishing line? Do I love the church, God's people, to the end as if I'm at the finishing line? Do I pray for God's people, for missions, for the gospel to progress as if I'm at the finishing line? Do I pray for the salvation of my children as if I'm at the finishing line? You've seen any race, any athletic race. It seems that the most effort that an athlete will put is just about as they're about to cross that and they stretch their head so that they could just cross. That is the effort every day you've been called And you know when that stops here on earth? You know when that stops, that effort stops? It doesn't. <laughs> it only stops at the end. At the end of your life, at the end of life, when you're crossing it. And Paul would even show this at the end of his life when he was facing death. Only then could Paul write these words in Second Timothy 4, verse 6 to 8. And he says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future... 2 Timothy 4 verse 8, in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That includes us, if you're a Christian. Finally, what will happen if I am not pressing on in this race? What will happen to you? If you call yourself Christian, if I'm not pursuing Christ, if you're not pursuing Christ, if you're not striving to grow in relying on his grace and the Holy Spirit, what will happen to you? What will God do? Look at verse 15 and 16. Let us therefore, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, right? The attitude of, 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 of striving, right? And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. We, we are to have this attitude as a Christian, as many as are perfect. The perfect here is not contradicting what he would have said in verse 12 earlier on when he said that he is not perfect. Remember that? There he was speaking in terms of his practical walk in Christ as he grows. He is speaking in terms of his position in Christ, having the righteousness of Christ. We ought to have this attitude. What attitude? The one that remembers you have not arrived. 
The one that remembers the reason why you were saved. The one that forgets what lies behind. The one that stretches forward to what lies ahead. The one that remembers your inheritance and your reward is in heaven. The attitude that presses on daily to become more like Christ. But if you don't have this attitude, Christian, what will happen? It says God will reveal it to you. God will reveal it to you. How does he do that? Well, it may be through his word, like today. Maybe through his people, his spirit. It may be even be through discipline. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. It may even be through trials. Where the Lord brings you to place and takes away something that has really replaced him. And you, you are so blind to it. And oftentimes the temptation will be to grumble and to complain. God, why are you doing this? Why, why have you brought this unto me? Woe is me. Instead of stopping and saying, God, what are you trying to show me in my life that has replaced you? Rest assured, if you call yourself Christian, if you have a different attitude and you have drifted and lost sight of the purpose why you are saved, he will reveal it to you. It says that in his word. He will reveal it to you so that you continue to grow, that you may know him and cherish Christ more. This is basically Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. That's the promise he has given to you. Paul ends by saying in verse 16, and we'll end there as well, however, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. The word however here is, 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 is him as if he was saying one more thing, one more thing, right? Keep living by the same standard you have attained. This again has an athletic connotation and has this, this, this idea of keep in your lane, right? Don't keep in your lane. Keep walking on the same path you have been from the beginning. This is the path in the context of knowing Christ and becoming more like him. Don't be distracted. Keep striving for the progress of the gospel in your life. Keep striving to know Christ. Do not be distracted. Even when you fall, and you will fall, and I, I myself do fall. In fact, just this morning, I had to confess to my children for sinning against them. But even when that happens, you get up, and you remember, I have a race to run. I still am to be in this lane and run the race. Press on towards the goal. And may God help us to remember what are really basic truths of the gospel, but the longer oftentimes you become a Christian, <laughs> the more these are forgotten. And may have, may have grace and mercy upon us. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word and how your word is a double-edged sword able to pierce the joints and marrow. And Lord, I do confess to you, 
I'll be the first to confess how I fall far short and am not perfect before you. And I know these, your people, would say amen to that. But Father, please remind us of the goal that we have. Please remind us of how we have not arrived. May we be people who are broken more and more each day rather than people who are more prideful more and more each day. May we be people who confess more and more sin each day because we understand this attitude. And Lord, where we are not mature in knowing this, where we are not mature, may you reveal it to us. I ask and pray this through your son's name.